Today is January 19th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer Wainwright. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome in and welcome back. So a really quick recap. A couple days back, we saw Jacob, aka Israel, tell his family to get rid of their idols and change their clothes because they were returning to Bethel, the place where God had appeared to him when he ran from Esau after stealing his birthright. And if you recall, the whole reason why he was running yet again was because after his daughter Dinah was assaulted by one of the men in the town of Shechem, Simeon and Levi, Jacob's sons and Dinah's full brothers, went and slaughtered all the men in the city. And Jacob was afraid that once they had recovered, they would come back and attack them. The crazy thing is, just the opposite was true. The Bible says that the people in all the towns of that area heard about the massacre and the terror of God came over them. So Jacob and his family were able to depart in peace because of God's divine protection. So moving forward, Jacob built an altar at Bethel and then he moves on toward Ephrath. Rachel goes into labor and unfortunately she dies while giving birth to her and Jacob's last son, Benjamin. Incidentally, she named him Ben-Ani, which means son of my sorrow. And if you recall, every time Rachel had a child, she named them based on the adversity or struggle she was experiencing, like back in chapter 29. But Jacob says, not this time, and he renames him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, a much more complimentary name. Then Jacob returns to Mamre, where he and his brother Esau unite once again, this time to see their father Isaac for the final time. He dies, that is, Isaac dies, and together him and Esau bury him. One other aside, we also see the death and burial of Rebekah's nurse. Rebekah is Jacob and Esau's mother. But curiously, there is no mention of Rebekah herself, and the scholarly consensus is that she died before Jacob's return, which confirms what we talked about in an earlier podcast. The consequence of her trickery, or at least one of the consequences, was that she'd never see her favorite son again. And then yesterday, we are introduced to Joseph, and we find out that he's 17 years old, and he's his dad's favorite, and then we learn that his brothers envy him, and they sell him into slavery after deciding not to just let him starve to death in a pit. Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and that is where we pick up the story today. Genesis chapter 39 verse 1 through chapter 41 verse 16. New International Version. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The cupbearer and the baker. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. 
As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Pharaoh's Dreams when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through chapter 13, verse 23. Jesus's mother and brothers. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The Parable of the Sower That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people try to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. Through what your lips have commanded, my steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down, they now surround me, with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it, and may there be leftovers for their little ones. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Okay, this word is so good. It is so, so good. This epic adventure that we're on, this, this odyssey, this trek, you know, through the, the wilderness and the wonders of God's word. It's like we have different avenues that we can explore, different trails that we can go down each day. But we have to choose, right? We have to choose which way we're going to travel. So today, we're going to travel back to the narrative shift that we saw from Jacob, the last of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to Judah. That was the shift. The shift was from Jacob to Judah, one of his sons, and then to Joseph, his favorite son, who the Bible tells us was born to Jacob in his old age. And if you remember, Joseph was the first of only two sons born to Rachel, the love of Jacob's life, the one that he worked for for seven years, and then another seven years. When we're introduced to Joseph, as I said in the opening, he's young. He's only 17. And he's a bit on the arrogant side, no doubt, in part, because Jacob has made it clear to all the kids that Joseph is his favorite. 
And if it wasn't clear to them initially, when he made him that ornate robe, the coat of many colors, it was definitely obvious because unlike the common garments worn by males in that day who worked in the fields all day long, this was a robe fit for royalty. So you could see how this might inspire feelings of envy in Joseph's brothers, which it did. And the Bible says they hated him so much they couldn't even say anything nice to him. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph is hanging out with his brothers as they're tending to their flocks. But then he goes home and gives their dad a bad report about them. Now, the Bible doesn't say what that report was, but what it sounds like to me is that he probably reported to Jacob that his brothers weren't tending to the sheep like they were supposed to be, they were being lazy or goofing off. Whatever it was, it was bad. And we know that Joseph places a lot of emphasis on doing his job the best possible way the job can be done because we see how he shows up in Potiphar's house. But again, that's all conjecture. The Bible just says it was a bad report about his brothers. Then he has these dreams. And in the first dream, he and his brothers are binding sheaves of corn. And then suddenly his sheave rises up and all of theirs bow down before him. Now, the fact that he has the dream is not the problem. The problem is he goes and shares the dream with his brothers who were in the dream bowing down to him. So, of course, his brothers are like, man, what'd you say? So, so what does that mean? Are you saying you're going to reign over us? Like, you're going to actually rule us? Well, if you don't go sit your corny behind down somewhere, they were offended. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Joseph, read the room. You saw how they reacted the first time. Why would you tell your brothers about this other dream? I know, I know, y'all. We might not want to say this, but Joseph, at least in this stage of his life, is a spoiled brat. Listen, he says, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he didn't just tell his brothers. He told his father. He told Jacob, too. But his father rebukes him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? He checked him. Parents, let's make sure that we are not letting our kids' unlikable behavior go unchecked. Hold these kids accountable. Call them out when they're being a hot mess because oftentimes they can't read the room. But you can, and their character or lack of it depends largely on your correction and redirection. Now Jacob, despite his reprimand, he recognizes Joseph's dreams for what they could mean. After all, he is no stranger to dreams and their prophetic implications. The Bible says the brothers, however, were furious. Jacob keeps the matter in mind. Also, the lesson I think everyone who has ever heard this story has gotten out of it is, you cannot share your dreams with everyone, especially when they're sacred. Sometimes God gives us dreams and visions for our benefit and ours alone. 
If God has given you a dream or a vision for your future and he wants other people to know about it, you don't need to be the messenger. He will make sure that they get the memo. Fast forward, Joseph's brothers see him coming in the distance on another day and fueled by their hatred and envy. They say, let's kill him and throw his body in a cistern. Well, Reuben, the oldest, steps in and says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in there. He'll die of starvation anyway. Now, Reuben was actually planning to come back and get Joseph, although he doesn't tell his brothers this. He just wanted to shake him up a little bit. So when Joseph gets close enough, the brothers strip him of his robe, throw him into the cistern, which is a receptacle for holding water, by the way. Fortunately for Joseph, there's no water in it. Otherwise, he may have drowned before he starved. But they do that. And apparently, Reuben has gone on about his business because then another brother, the brother we talked about yesterday, Judah, sees a group of Ishmaelites in the distance and has the brilliant idea to sell his baby brother into slavery, reasoning that it was better than killing him and that they could make some money for themselves in the process. Now, the reason why we believe that Reuben had gone somewhere else and was not around is because he actually comes back looking for Joseph later, and Joseph isn't there. And when Joseph is not there, he tears his clothes like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Now back to Judah and this idea that he comes up with for selling Joseph, the brothers agree. Look at how envy and hatred has warped their thinking. They actually believe that they are justified in trafficking their brother, their flesh and blood. They thought it was a good idea. Now we may not be this savage, but when we're envious, we often do feel like we are justified in doing something we would otherwise have the presence of mind to know is wrong. Our thinking becomes twisted and we don't see the thing we want for ourselves as a problem, but rather as the solution to our problem. In the brother's case, they wanted to get rid of Joseph. That was the problem. But they thought getting rid of Joseph was the solution to their problem. They saw a problem, not a person which is why they could dehumanize and disassociate themselves from the harm they were doing to their brother. I wonder how many times in our own lives we've seen a problem and not a person and acted accordingly. This is the subtle danger of envy. It probably won't result in dramatic events like selling siblings into slavery for us, but it is insidious and pernicious and can undermine our integrity, our relationships, and our ability to see things clearly. And none of us are immune to it. We can vaccinate ourselves against it though with the vigilance of someone who is conscious of our susceptibility to it. The antidote to envy is always gratitude. When we are grateful for what we have and we're really intentional about cultivating gratitude day in and day out, there is very little room for envy or jealousy. Plus, the folk we envy or would envy are not even worth the energy we have to expend on envying them. When we are mindful of the gifts that we've been given and thankful for them, we can appreciate the good in others without comparing ourselves to them or feeling like we're lacking in some way. 
And here's the last thing I'm going to say about this. I remember coming home one day after a friend of mine bought a new house and she had this beautiful island in her kitchen. It was so nice. And I came home and told Shannon, oh, I'm so envious. I want an island because at the time we didn't have one. And I started telling him how nice it was describing the features and the way she had decorated it. And he stopped me and he said, you're not envious, you're inspired. And that gave me a completely different perspective. Reframing envy as inspiration can help you to let go of any feelings of resentment or inadequacy that come with it. And even if the feeling truly was envy initially, here we go. The power of my husband's words shifted my whole mindset because as long as we're comparing ourselves to others, we're always going to feel bad about ourselves in some way. And when we hold on to these negative emotions, they don't just disappear. They take up space in our bodies and our minds and they weigh us down so that we can't move forward in our own lives. We're too focused on somebody else's. So as we consider that, Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us dreams to inspire and challenge us. Help us to continue to focus on the gifts and blessings in our lives rather than what we think that we're lacking. Help us to be thankful and grateful for every good and perfect gift, recognizing that it all comes from you. Help us to be better at appreciating the good in others without comparing ourselves with them. Help us to live in the present moment, enjoying, savoring what we have now instead of worrying about the future or regretting the past. Help us to be more compassionate and kind toward ourselves and others. Lord, we ask that you would continually help us to avoid negative emotions like envy, jealousy, bitterness, and resentment, and to replace them with things like gratitude and joy. As a matter of fact, Lord, thank you for the freedom to reframe our thoughts and ideas that we have about ourselves so that we can be open to more positive perspectives, more godly perspectives. Thank you that we are not victims of our thoughts and feelings, but that we have the power to change them at any time. Thank you for helping us to recognize that we are the thinker of our thoughts, which means that we can speak a life-giving word over ourselves anytime we want to. Help us to see ourselves through your eyes, each one of us as your favorites in our own unique ways. Lord, continue to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to feel and understand what it is you want us to know every single day in every possible way. Show up in us, speak to us, and through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our affirmation for today, it is a little bit longer, but I couldn't choose, so take them both or rework it to be your own. I am a child of God. I am loved, valued, and accepted exactly as I am right now. I have the power to change my thoughts and I speak life-giving words over myself at all times. I am a child of God. I am loved, valued, and accepted exactly as I am right now. 
I have the power to change my thoughts and I speak life-giving words over myself at all times. And our aphorism. The secret of happiness is to admire without desiring, and that is not happiness. The secret of happiness is to admire without desiring, and that is not happiness. That's all I have for you today. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for your continued comments and expressions of encouragement and sharing your feedback and your insights and what you're getting out of it. I really, really appreciate it. And I thank you for showing up here with me and taking this journey with me through the Bible. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.